Hesedim is a series of reflection, usually reflecting on an issue in the society in the light of the words of scripture. You're welcome to join us each time and to send your questions or comments by way of a voice note. Look forward to hearing you and speaking with you. The Old Testament account about the contest between the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal has a lot to say to us today about religion and politics and about identity and authenticity. The story is about the reality of God, the authenticity of God, and the ways in which our concept of who is God influences the conduct of our lives and the nature of our politics. The story came at a time when there was a deterioration in the moral fabric in the nation of Israel. It resulted from a political alliance, alliance fomented through the political leadership of the day, the dynasty of the Umrides, led by, in this instance, King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. Jezebel was originally from the foreign territory of Tyre and Sidon. And when she married Ahab and came to Israel, she introduced into the body politics of Israel the religion of Baal Melkart. Baal Melkart was a religion of prosperity and power. It taught power how to dominate the people. One of the lessons that became apparent through the introduction of Baal Melkart in Israel was that politics is at its most efficient and effective when it finds a bedfellow in religion. The, the alliance of religion and politics has always proven to be a deadly combination. What Jezebel's leadership of the cult did was to contaminate the religion of Yahweh in Israel so that it came to take on some of the features and forms and alliance of Baal Melkart. By the time we come to the story found in 1 Kings 18 and the contest on Mount Carmel between Elijah and the prophets of Baal, the religion of Baal Melkart had achieved enormous popularity and mass support in Israel. Elijah is but one man championing the name of Yahweh, and Baal Melkart is represented by 450 prophets, enormous and monumental odds against the Lord, the God of Israel. What the story of the contest in which the numbers favor Baal against Yahweh tells us is that mere numbers alone are not enough to make something authentic and true. It demands that we go beyond the numbers and ask ourselves other questions. Yes, it has popular support. Yes, it wins majority support, but is it right? Is it true? Is it authentic? This is not 
a one-off conversation, but an ongoing debate. We have always to go behind and beyond the numbers. The prophet Elijah narrows down two issues that ought always to concern us. One is the authenticity of what we call God or and to whom we give our allegiance. And the other is the identity of the people. Who are we and who does our religious faith make us out to be and the matters arising? Elijah begins the Odyssey on Mount Carmel with a simple contest. He declares at the outset, if the Lord is God, or put differently, if Yahweh is God, serve the Lord, and if Baal, serve him, but do not vacillate between two opinions. Then he said, the God who answers by fire, that one is God. The contest he devised was that each side, the cult of Yahweh and the Baal Melkart, would each get a bull for itself, and then each having set the bull on the altar should ask their God to send fire from heaven and to consume the bull on the altar. In the ancient Near East, when a sacrifice is offered to a God and the fire consumes the sacrifice is emblematic of the God consuming the meat. The story was of the frantic hype that the Baal worshippers conducted in order to get the attention of their God, including cutting themselves with spears and with swords. And they did so from morning till midday and then until evening, and still Baal could not send fire. Baal could not answer by fire and cook his own meat. Elijah mocked them saying, your God is in deep thought or traveling or even sleeping, so keep on shouting. But at the end of the day, nothing happened. Despite the number of supporters, Baal had no essential reality. He was make-believe, a made-up God. Baal had no power of his own, despite the fact that the power moguls in the society and the structure of power in the society paid their allegiance to Baal. He had no power of his own to strike a match by his unaided power. We need to separate the fact that a God has no power from the fact that those with power worship that God, that these made up gods facilitate them to use power in arbitrary, tyrannical, capricious ways. This is partly what the story bears out. Because Ahab and Je Jezebel were cruel and tyrannical and together with their mass support in Israel did dreadful things. One recalls how they conspired together to slaughter Naboth and to expropriate his field for their own use. Gods are invented to make our politics do what we want it to do. It is not power that makes God God. It is goodness and righteousness. The God of Elijah is not only the God who answers by fire. God is the God who is the God of Naboth and the God who sends rain on the land. Gods of wealth and power 
are the gods that treat those things, wealth and power, as ends in themselves, to be sought and used for their own sakes, rather than to be deployed and used for the sake of the people and the cause of making them flourish. The contest on Mount Carmel took place at a time of severe famine in the land. The famine is the cause and consequences of the domination of the people by the political regime and the religion that became its partner. The situation is made worse because in the leap and lurches of climate, a resilience among the people that preserves their stability and economic participation will allow the people to overcome the climate extreme. The religion of Baal Malkart and the politics of the dynasty of the Umrides promoted the centralization of power and the urbanization of power and citizens of the society and promoted a socially stratified society. It led to the rural urban drift and the decimation of the small farm economy. Samaria became its commercial capital, but the hillsides were ravished of the economic activity. What Elijah demanded in the name of God and in the name of the people was that the prophets of Baal demonstrate that their gods had the power to fix the situation, to do something about the inequity in the society, that their gods show that they are authentic, that they are true, that they are real. The simple challenge to make fire and to consume the sacrifice offered in their name was beyond the competence and capacity of their gods, the Baals. Perhaps they are out to lunch. It is still the case today. They talk a great boast, but they are powerless in the face of a simple virus. The rich, like the poor countries, have been brought to their knees. They can buy the vaccine and get ahead in the line but they are no less than anyone else, the victims of its death and destruction. Call to your gods. Perhaps they are deep in thought or traveling. Elijah had set the qualifying bar quite low for the gods. If God is God, that God should be able to act in that God's own interest. The bull is offered to God. Can God take steps to consume the bull offered on its altar. Isaiah posed the same test of authenticity later on to the gods of Babylon. He mocks them by saying that they have gods that in the time of trouble, they have to sit on donkeys and take away and hide them from trouble. To be worthy of worship and to be worthy of our trust and confidence and our allegiance. The least that a God ought to be able to do is to act in its own interest. By answering by fire, Elijah's God shows that God can do God's own cooking. God is not a contrivance, a mere figment of imagination, a fake, a made-up deity. God is for real. Elijah multiplies the difficulty by pouring water on the altar, complicates the problem, and when God answers, the fire consumes the water and the animal sacrifice. It is therefore a God of surplus capacity, not a just enough God, but a more than enough God. 
and a God who can do what is required, whatever the complications may be, a God who is alive and able. When Elijah has exhausted the capacity of the competition because the prophets of Baal were unable to get their God to answer by fire, Elijah turns to the practical situation facing the nation. It had not rained for three years. The hillsides were parched. The barns were empty. The animals were dying. The land needed rain. And Elijah prayed seven times. He kept on praying. And then he saw the cloud as the size of a man's fist. And then he told the king that the rains were coming. And they did. The parched and dry lands were drenched. And the floods brought life to plants, animals, and communities alike. The God who answers by fire is the God who sends rain. The God who is able to act in God's own behalf, but also to act in the interest of others. This is the very thing that wealth and power do not do. They do not act in the interest of others, especially the vulnerable and the parched and dry and thirsty. I think Elijah is confronting us with some questions for our own contemplation. Being in the majority does not make you right or true or real. Neither does being in the minority make you wrong or untrue. One man can be right even if he stands against the crowd. It is time to look beyond the shouting and the numbers and the gimmicks to consider the thing in itself. These things that capture and captivate our spirits and control our lives, do they have a reality in themselves? Are they true? Is it the echo chambers or is it a reality and uh, is there a reality and an authenticity to them? then things that we strive for, wealth and power, what do they do for the people? Can they cause rain on the land so that life can flourish? Elijah introduces the Lord God who answers by fire, who can act in God's own interest and who can send rain and who acts in the interest of others. Elijah declares to us, if the Lord is God, serve God. And the people declared, Yahweh is God. Amen.